Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Really enthused today to have Zachary Pruitt on the show. Zachary has a PhD in health administration, a PhD in, in public health. But most importantly, he is the assistant professor of University of South Florida College of Public Health. He focuses on healthcare management, healthcare management consulting. He's the director of community practice. He helps place passionate healthcare people in roles that are coming out of that foundry. I'm not going to steal a thunder too much, and he's probably going to correct me on some of the things I might have messed up in the intro. But long story short, Zach, welcome to the show. No, thank you very much for having me, Anthony. You nailed it. All that's did true. I did yeah, I? Okay, cool, right. cool. Like I was mentioning, if I made my bed this morning and I nailed your intro, I'm doing good. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm inspired to do other great things today just from doing those two. So I, I'll keep the streak going. But no, Zach. First of all, thank you for 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 being on the show. You're doing some awesome stuff. You've written some really good, good, profound pieces. Um, we just had one of your friends on the show. We jammed out. That was super fun. Very enriching. But most importantly, tell us about what made you into the person you are today. Um, or said another way, tell us your origin story and the series of you know events that went on that have led you to where you're at today. Well, I you I know you're out in Silicon Valley, and I lived out there myself. Uh, my age is such that when I was coming out of uh, undergraduate uh, at University of Texas at Austin, we were a lot of us going into the dot com world, and so mm -hmm. I moved to San Francisco and worked for a dot-com and uh, enjoyed that time. My wife was in graduate school. She's now a pediatrician and had done her second two years of clinical uh, education in El Paso, Texas. So I moved from uh, San Francisco to El Paso, which was a bit of a culture shock, uh, where I uh, later married my wife and we moved to Florida. But when I moved to Florida, the uh, dot com world had not really taken off, and we were thinking about the timing as the the dot com had burst its bubble and is now sort of uh, floundering. So mm -hmm. around the early two thousands, I was looking for a career change and wanted to do something meaningful, but was not a clinician certainly. Uh, right, knew that I had skills in project management and product development and those sort of uh, business type skills and. So I went back to graduate school at the University of South Florida's College of Public Health. They have a Master of Health Administration program. Mm -hmm. and, and there I started to work in uh, managed care. So I worked for mm -hmm. a, a large Fortune uh, 500 company called WellCare, where mm -hmm. I did policy and management and that sort of thing. And then later on, ran a Medicaid managed care plan uh, for a smaller government services managed care organization. And then I just kept going, got my PhD in public health. My concentration is in health services research and got it stayed in the academic world. And I, and mm. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it. I love it. Well, first of all, go Bulls. I mean, super exciting that you've had the perspective that you've had, you know, follow the well care story. I think they recently had a transaction that was favorable for most. And um, so, so really super interesting um, set of events that you've gone through, Zach. Um, you touch a lot, right? You see a lot in health. Tell me a little bit about something that really is captivating you right now. The area that I research is at the intersection of medical care and social care. Mm -hmm. And I know, Anthony, you have a lot of interest in social determinants of health, and, and I do as well. Uh, 
the research I do oftentimes uses large data sets to answer questions about how healthcare is delivered. And the series of questions we've asked recently is, how can we integrate social and medical care to improve health outcomes? And we, with the opportunity to work with some of my prior colleagues at WellCare, we had a really interesting data set that allowed us to answer those questions. WellCare is a very large managed care organization with some pretty innovative work in this addressing social determinants of health. And specifically, they created this big call center. It's like a, uh, a referral hotline to help connect people to social services mm. that to help support their needs in medical care. Of course, mm -hmm. managed care, their incentive is to reduce cost and improve quality, but they wanted to figure out how in the world can we connect to food, mm -hmm. housing, um, uh, you know, uh, electric bills getting paid, all those things to help support their medical care. But they didn't know uh, whether it actually worked. And so mm -hmm. our, our team of researchers asked that question. Does it, first of all, does it save money? And we mm -hmm. found yeah, it's say if you get their social needs met, it saves money. Oh yeah. What other tips? Uh, well, we then we found out. Look, these these um, information about social needs helps predict their readmission rates. Right. So right. I know I know you have a lot of thoughts on on that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, to that point, you know, we go deeper. We're trying to go a little bit. Or like, you know, what's SD, I guess what's the, what's the in vogue way of like the acronym now? Is it SDH or SDOH? If you can help me. Uh, I'd say neither. I say social determinants of health. The whole so, thing. You always spell I, the whole thing out. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, all right. I, I I'll, try I'll not to be cool or hip and, and hashtag it. But um, right. I guess, let me ask you about like, so social determinants in, in action, right? Like say like in Tampa, right? So um, take me around the wheel or to our listeners that don't really have a framework, right? We, we touch upon things like, and say shelter and food insecurity, um, healthcare financing and finances, but tell, take us around maybe the social determinants of health framework or wheel, like what's the framework. And then maybe it, a, a tiny example of it in action, you know, like, um, I'm hungry. I don't have food. I don't have money. I can call a number here now and get this just love to hear a little bit more in depth about you know it in action uh, i think the best way to illustrate the the work that we're doing that many mm -hmm. people like yourself are doing is that these worlds are very much separated you have the medical right. care and you have social care social determinants of health and there's a suggestion that physicians should do a better job of screening mm -hmm. for social determinants of health and to integrate it. And I think a lot of people are coming to the realization, like at what point in their workflow would they actually do that? They're just, they're overstretched as it is. And how do we then ask them to, okay, screen it. And then what do they do? So there are, are mechanisms involved for getting people connected to that. And, and there's lots of ways for, for that. The framework mm -hmm. for social determinants of health is just what you mentioned. So all the Maslow's hierarchy of needs things that, that people require to have a stable life, such as pure social support, such mm -hmm. as you know, food, housing, all those, all those things that we know makes a difference. And if you mm -hmm. use uh, the model, some of the other countries do a much better job of integrating this into their financing of healthcare, for example. So mm -hmm. the Nordic countries, all they spend a lot more on social care than we do because they recognize the, the 
the need to to integrate them. Mm-hmm. So that's the the framework is we have two worlds. How do we connect them? Right. Right. Yeah, no, thank you for that, that illustration. You know, one thing I've been listening at from a different dimension, more like a psychological perspective is I love, what are your, what are your thoughts on the concept of it? Right. So all of these factors about us, where we live, you know, what we do, et cetera, determines kind of our health. That kind of sounds like you know, do we have enough like free will and habits to kind of overcome some of those things like in our DNA or um, uh, the socioeconomic statuses where we're at? How do you think about that? You know, because I, when I started learning more about social determinants health, I'm like, oh, you mean so I can't, you know, become Zion Williamson and, and, and have the brain of Elon Musk, you know, or, or it's going to be so much harder for me to like achieve this level of, uh, you know, physicality or anything like that. How do you think about the determination element of it? I think, well, I try to look at the work that others have done. Um, Mm -hmm. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation sponsors the Wisconsin County Health Rankings. Now, how they break that up Mm -hmm. in terms of how they rank the performance of the health of each individual county in the United States is in a basic pie chart. And they say, look, 10% of our health is determined by our genetics. Right. About uh, 20% is our health behavior. Uh, another 30% is through healthcare delivery. Right. And the remaining large piece of the pie are these social determinants of health the right. economics, the things, the social support, uh, all education, all these things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think about it. I think we have to have the whole pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're probably not doing a great job of of managing our public's health by avoiding the uh, the social determinants of health. I love it. I love it. Um, can you give us a little bit of a spoiler? I think you have a book coming out, right? Or some some new research studies coming out soon. If correct me if I'm wrong, um, or tell me a little bit about. Give us some highlights of some of the research. Um, um, studies that you've done or been a part of, or maybe some of the new publications coming out. Um, just love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. So I mentioned a couple of the research studies, one mm-hmm. that recently came out that's actually pretty popular right now, mm-hmm. just because we asked a question about whether it saved money. And what we did is we had those the interesting data set from WellCare, allowing us to tie both uh, medical claims, that is the bills for doctors and hospitals, mm-hmm. with their needs for social care. And so mm-hmm. we had a big database that we were able to join together. We set up a study that essentially a retrospective study, so looking backwards, to ask whether there was a savings for getting their needs met. So we had two groups, those who got all their social needs met compared to those who did not get any social needs met. And we found that in the second year, there was an additional savings of $2,400 per year for those who got their social needs met, which it says basically in layman's terms, if you make sure they get their social needs met, they will be less expensive to the healthcare right. system. Great. Right. Yeah. So we're excited about that. The second is just looking at the database in general of all the social needs. People that call in have a much higher odds of being readmitted to the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's something, the sentinel effect of listening to their social needs gives us information 
that we hope in the future people will use to create interventions to reduce inpatient readmissions, which is, of course, very, we don't want that. So yeah, those are research, and, and now we're doing a, a similar, what's called a literature review, right? systematic review, looking at all of our social, what we call social health surveillance. So those right. systems that listen, how are people doing, and, and we're writing that up now. So you're also cultivating a lot of healthcare leaders, right, um, through, through USF Health. Um, I haven't been back in a while. I'm going to go visit Tampa and visit fam and friends, you know, soon here. But um, what's happening with USF Health? Like what's going on? And then how is, how is what you're doing daily? Like how does your process work? And I just love to hear also a little bit more about how you're, you know, grooming those leaders. How does the process work? Or are you staffing them, you know, all over the country? Um, yeah, I know a little bit, but I, I need to get updated. <laughs> Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So USF Health includes a bunch of uh, colleges like the College of Public Health, College of Nursing, College, College of Pharmacy, the College of Medicine. Mm-hmm. All of those clinical uh, colleges have improved their over national rankings under the leadership of Dr. Charlie Lockwood. Uh, that's, that's a great uh, position to be in where we're up and coming uh, university. College of Public Health has been a top 20 college for a long time now under the leadership of Donna Peterson. Mm-hmm. Within the College of Public Health, we run our healthcare management program. Mm-hmm. Those are people that eventually become managers uh, and leaders uh, of hospitals and physician groups and other technology companies and, and what have you. They have business skills in the healthcare arena. Mm-hmm. And the things that, that we're responsible for is making sure that they're trained to take these either first analyst jobs or mid-career or eventually leadership jobs. And to do that, we have to have the right internships while they're in college, uh, while they're in their graduate program. We have to make sure that they have residencies that are longer employment opportunities to learn. And then after they graduate, the whole healthcare management education industry has what's called postgraduate fellowships. Mm -hmm. And these are all over the country. It's it's a central place where they can apply. Much like if you've ever heard how to physicians, when they graduate from medical school, they go into residency Mm -hmm. and they have a match program. Ours is akin to that where students apply to all um, these postgraduate fellowships where they do usually a year long program of learning about a business within the healthcare system. They go to a hospital or an outpatient, whatever. And they um, then are apply to the central system, and then they're they're uh, picked, and then they go and move to whatever South Carolina or California or wherever to uh, learn the business. And they oftentimes are hired by that organization to stay around and be promoted, but other times just go out to other organizations with what they've learned. So it's a real, f- it's a formal program. Healthcare management's been around for seventy years. Uh, maybe a hundred years now at its beginning point, um, and, but people often don't know what healthcare managers do and how they're educated. But it is re- it is a real profession. I love it. I love it. No, thank you for that. Yeah, no, I, I kind of needed to get reoriented. Um, but I think most importantly, I love what Charlie has built, what he's doing. I've, I've had good meetings with him in person, some good coffees. Um, really good guy and uh, really doing some great stuff for the community. So really super exciting to see. And for our listeners out there, yeah, USF is doing some really awesome, um, profound stuff in South Florida. Um, let me ask you, um, 
Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing that are paving the way for the future. Tell me a little bit about um, some of the, the combinations of things. Like what, what are the recipes going on of either health tech, policy? Um, tell me a little bit about these foundational blocks that are happening right now that are paving a way for an interesting future you know, that, that you see we are, are marching towards. I, I'd love to hear more about that, Zach. I'm I'm really excited about our efforts to uh, to reduce fragmentation of the healthcare system, mm-hmm. especially between the professions. And mm-hmm. so we oftentimes don't do a great job of communicating. And so USF and others are are really working on what's called interprofessional education, and that's where all the the professions get together and and learn together, and then to have a better practice for when they actually graduate graduate school. So USF Health has got a very large simulation center. They're upgrading their performance in terms of getting all these clinicians and managers together in the same room. They're competing in student-based case competitions to, you know, to get cross-pollinization of different mm-hmm. professions like medicine and nursing and pharmacy and public health and management. Mm-hmm. So I'm pleased that we're doing that because, boy, we can get our own professional silos, and that is not good for the patient right? nor for population health. So integration. That's right. And we call it interprofessional education or IPE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's harder than it looks because oftentimes we're so focused on educating our particular you know, profession that we forget to integrate them. So for example, I also teach in the medical school, Mm -hmm. um, the Morsani College of Medicine, and I bring along healthcare manager students, uh, master of health administration students to help uh, teach the medical students about the health system in general. And that's a great experience. Actually, we have a paper coming out hopefully in the next six months or so about, about that integration. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You, you, integration is like, I think it's so key for unification. Right. And so to come across as a patient is like this one seamless, like thing, awesome thing in service. Right. And, and yeah, as you and I know, healthcare has seen so much of this like siloed approach. And then next thing you know, the patient has to ping pong and um, spend all their cognitive resources, just trying to manage the process themselves. Right. And trying to decipher it. Right. And, you know, most of us by nature are not like Batman level detectives, right? <laughs> For our own healthcare, oh, right? Really? And so the bouncing, the ping ponging, and it's a lot, it's a lot to manage. So integrated is, is awesome and key. And it's not just about systems, it's, it's people, right? It's people talking, working together like a team, um, you know, a good like championship football, basketball team. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the physics of really great high performance teams. And it's like their relationships are great. They communicate, they've got eye vision, you know, They've got these hand signals, like everything's like just harmonized. And so awesome. You guys are championing that. What else? What other bricks, foundational bricks are, are happening right now that are that are, you know, paving the way for what health, your vision of healthcare is going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years? Well, I hope that we've integrated social determinants of health into our everyday operations of healthcare. Mm-hmm. I see in 15 or 20 years that that will be the conversation will be coming to a close. It'll be, of course, we integrate social determinants of health. I also hope that we've changed our incentive system in our healthcare um, 
system to reduce the volume of healthcare. We're really focused on more and more and more. And, mm-hmm. we, and we need to get away from the volume and focused on value. Right. And there are policies uh, that are encouraging that from a financing standpoint, organization standpoint, mm-hmm. that I hope that I hope pay off. I'm, I have every hope that it will. I think people do only what the system is incentivizing them to do. And if we change those incentives, people's behaviors will change. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very hopeful. And it, it, with the work of of you uh, in social determinants of health and we leverage what's great about um, the United States, which is our innovation and our creativity to help improve our population's health. Right now we're struggling. It can only get better. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I really appreciate that vision of the future. And, and yeah, no, it it feels like we're headed towards that direction. Um, Zach, let me ask you, what's a good way for our listeners to get a hold of you? I have one or two more questions for you, but um, what's a good way for our listeners to get a hold of you? If, if um, you know, how how do they find you online and all that good uh, stuff? Sure. Well, there's a couple ways. The the first is I work at University of South Florida's College of Public Health, so I have mm-hmm. a a page on that, a faculty page. Um, mm-hmm. Zachary Pruitt. You can find my CV, my resume, uh, my academic interests, the courses I teach, etc. And you can also find my campus email. Mm-hmm. But pro- probably easier is through Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Zach Pruitt, and that's Z-A-C-P-R-U-I-T-T. And you can tweet me, follow me, all those things. I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, kind of my, my one or last two questions. So we'll link to your contact information, you know, for sure. But um, we have a lot of people on the show. Uh, I always love to find out routines. I'm a routine guy. And I'm always trying to improve my own. But for people that are in healthcare, it's really interesting to hear people's routines because you're seeing stuff every single day. Um, what do you tell me about your morning routine? Tell me about your weekly routine, at least the stuff that works, right? I mean, <laughs> I ate some Oreos on Saturday, so like full confession. But, you know, I was in ketosis seven days prior. That doesn't justify it, but um, I wanted to be a little bit vulnerable before I have you answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind being a little vulnerable. I, I um, So I'm a professor and I teach in the nighttime. So evening classes for many of my graduate school classes. Um, which means my schedule is kind of, uh, shifted a bit from most people, but Mm -hmm. I, I get up, get the kids off. I have two, uh, children, one elementary school, one in in junior high. And so I get them off the school. Then I meditate 20 or 30 minutes before I go and work out for about an hour. I do a, Mm. like a, uh, boot camp sort of workout. And then uh, in the next hour or so, I'm you know answering emails and getting into the project work, mm. uh, whether it be writing. I'm, you mentioned I'm writing a textbook, so yes, I'm working on a a case book, doing that heavily right now. It's due mm-hmm. this summer, and, and then answer more emails in the afternoon before I head to campus. It's usually uh, my classes start around six or six thirty, mm-hmm. so I'll have afternoon meetings. Uh, and then my night usually gets done around nine thirty or ten and start it over. So mm-hmm. that's that's the routine. How is the difference between um, I can so I I think phenomenal. Like I know for me when I meditate and work out, whatever creativity, what whatever I have to create after that, I have found to be like 
so much different than, you know, waking up eating a big breakfast and then I try and eat and I have it stretched or anything like that. So, um, what's, have you seen a difference? Like, can you contrast the creative output of like writing, you know, post meditation, post working out versus not? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm trying to improve my performance, like trying to, to optimize my awesomeness and it. <laughs> it's just not that, it's just not that perspective. I'm just trying to stay, uh, stay sane, you know, yeah. to it together. Um, so much going on. Yeah. I mean that just, just trying to, to, to maintain, I got a really active mind. And so to quiet that a little bit helps yeah. uh, re reduce a lot of the noise. Um, it does, it's a, it's a practice of concentration. So it does help me a little bit with understanding, recognizing when I'm getting distracted and I'm not um, working efficiently. That's right. probably biggest upside. It's kind of, Oh, I've just got distracted or I'm not focused on what I need to be focused on right now. And sort of understanding that my mind's going to do that and that it's okay. But then to refocus that's meditation for me is that idea of, um, uh, of realizing that I'm not, focusing on my breath and that, right. that, oh, I now notice it. Now I'm back to my breath. So in practice, it helps my work because it's, uh, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and get back to it as opposed to that black hole of, wow, I just read the news for 15 minutes. How did that happen? What, what do you use for meditation these days? I, you know, I've done various apps to try to teach me, but these days I just do unguided meditation where unguided. I- Unguided? Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you, do you use anything to kind of, you know, you know, boundary lines. I do it from time to time, but then I find myself getting distracted unless I have like a timer or, you know, some sort of bell app, you know, that does the bell, but yeah. uh, just totally unguided, huh? For like 20 minutes. Yeah. I do a timer for 20 minutes. And okay. so just, uh, as a matter of routine, I start with the breath and then I sort of run through a various concentration exercises mm -hmm. just to try to keep myself in. I'm not just like everyone that meditates. I'm terrible. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm always distracted, but I think what I've learned over time is that that's okay. As long as I realize that I've been distracted, I'm doing the right stuff. And and that applies to my everyday life, my work life, yeah. especially. Okay, I'm not focused on writing this case study or this, you know, working on preparing for class. Or I'm not in the moment with a student when they're complaining about their grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? So uh, that's that's the helpful part for me. But if, you think, you're, if you think you're terrible at um, uh, meditation, then that's that's normal. That's, yeah. <laughs> we're all pretty bad at it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm always like in curious. We had, a, we had um, a healer, Reiki meditation yoga person on something I would have thought was kind of hokey and taboo probably like, uh, you know, two or three years ago. But uh, she taught me a breathing technique of like two in the two in the mouth and then one out, um, like this whole breathe works thing. And I've been doing it for a week. And I, this weekend, I'm, it's been like changing a lot the way I breathe. I'm like something so basic. But I, I guess you do like just in slow through the nose and then out through the mouth, and you're just yeah. trying to be mindful, right? right? Yeah, just okay. focus on how it how it feels. That's how right. it feels. How it feels. Awesome. Awesome. This is good, fun stuff. I could jam out with you forever. Love to have <laughs> you back on the show. You know what we should do is have you back like when you, when the show, uh, when the, when the book, uh, is, is ramping up or post post launch. And then anytime you're working on some good stuff, you want to come and share, 
uh, totally open to it, but this is fun. And then obviously we'll have to coffee up when I'm in Tampa. So, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah the book is going to be a bunch of case studies to help people learn quality management. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it will be a, a good fit for people who are looking for data and for good stories on, on how to practice their salt problem solving. But, uh, Oh yeah. I'm looking forward good. to it. Yeah, I hope so. And then, yeah, I love your work on social determinants of health. So I'd love to meet with you and talk about sort of the work you're doing as well uh, as we look to refocus our health systems to recognizing people's social determinants of health. Amen. Amen. No, absolutely. I love your feedback. Love always looking for feedback for sure. So uh, Zach, this was powerful. Thank you for making time, especially on a Monday, right? But <laughs> you have a great Monday. You have a great rest of the week. You're, you're, you're healing people. You're, you're responsible for, you know, the next generation of healthcare here. So it's just awesome and fascinating what you're doing. So Zach, yeah. again, thank you so much. This yeah. Powerful. Thanks for having me. This is great. Thanks, Anthony. All right. Have a All great right, one. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye.